Today I speak to Dr. Patience Mpofu, who is a multi-award winner as one of the most influential women in mining and a former vice president of an Australian-listed mining company. She is a global mining sustainability thought leader, an IWF fellow alumni, executive leadership coach and woman in STEM. She has over 25 years of senior leadership mining experience and has authored and published over 10 international peer-reviewed journals on sustainability in the mining industry. She is the CEO of Peak Performance with Patience and Insights Mining Experts, and today she's joining me in the studio. Welcome to the studio, Patience. Thank you so much, Petra, for this opportunity to come and share my story. It's lovely to see you in person. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a little bit about your story. Where did you grow up and in what type of world did you experience school, university, your first job? I have a very interesting background. I was actually born in Zimbabwe to my wonderful parents and we are six girls and one boy, right? I then got educated in Zimbabwe, then I moved to South Africa. When I moved to South Africa, that's when I actually then worked for the mining industry. I actually studied applied chemistry. I worked for a chemical ind- chemical company called Hext. That time, I think now it's called BASF. That was my first introduction into the mining industry because we used to manufacture chemicals for the mining industry. Then I worked for Impala Platinum. That's essentially my background. And where did you study and what did you do your studies on? I actually studied STEM subjects. So in high school, I was actually very good in maths. I was also equally good in, um, you know, English and English literature. But because I came from a background which believed that we need to study STEM, I then did a BSc in applied science. And thereafter, I then did a PhD in mineral processing in Australia. I got a scholarship when I was working for Impala, as I mentioned, that I was working for Impala. So one day I just got a call. I'd applied for a scholarship to study uh, mineral processing. And six months later, I got a call from Professor John Ralston telling me that I got the scholarship. This scholarship was uh, funded by 10 mining companies. It was supposed to be a project. I was supposed to work on a project to solve tailings retreatment problems. So most of the mining companies, when they do the mining, and I'm sure you know about it, you generate all these tailings and you have to dump these tailings in what is called tailings dam. Now, most of these mining companies, they were struggling to recycle most of that water back into the process operations. So they came together in Australia under what is called Australian Mineral Industry Research Association. So they would put some money in that fund and university will help to solve their problem. So they would employ PhD like ourselves. So I was employed, well, I was taken as a PhD student to solve one of those problems. So what attracted you to the mining industry? You know, it's not a career or it's not an industry that many girls are attracted to. So why did you decide to join the mining industry? <laughs> That's one of the most popular questions that I get all the time. I remember in 2018, my niece asked me exactly the same question. She said, Auntie, you are always working so hard. Why did you move into the mining industry? It sounds like it's a very tough industry. It's for males. Why didn't you choose something that is more interesting, like probably working in the beauty industry? (laughs) So you're not the only one who has asked me that question. Mining chose me, Petro. 
I didn't deliberately go out to look for the mining industry. The opportunity that I got was from the mining industry. As I mentioned before, I worked for a chemical company. That's when I knew about the mining industry, the chemicals that were used for flotation. Then I worked for Impala. Impala was my first job in South Africa. Thereafter, I got a scholarship to study mining. There was no way I was going to actually, you know, decline such an amazing opportunity. But one of the things which made me to actually stay, I think that's the right question, to stay in the mining industry. It's an industry that you can have a love-head relationship. Love it for the amazing opportunity, the big packages. I mean, it well pays. The amazing challenges that you get working in a male-dominated industry. But it also has the downside. It's male-dominated in nature. Now, you ask me, how did you stay those more than two decades? I love the challenges, but they are abundant opportunities. If I'm to ask my younger self, why did you stay in the mining industry? It is because of the challenges. It is because of the opportunities that are presented by the mining industry. And particularly around this time, we were talking about climate change, sustainability. If you think about the products that we produce in the mining industry, for example, what we have right now, we've got copper. Every single product that we have in our homes, our cell phones, it has metals. For me, that actually inspires me. That gets me so excited. And that is why I ended up writing a book about the mining industry. So going back to your question, why did I actually stay in the mining industry? It's a challenging industry. It's got lots of opportunities. And I want to encourage every young girl to choose that industry. So tell me a little bit about your journey in the mining industry. Which sort of roles did you hold before you went on your sabbatical? So what was your sort of journey in the mining industry? Okay. So when I got my scholarship, went to Australia, studied my PhD. I did it for three and a half years. I published on how to recycle more water, as I mentioned, for particularly clay minerals. So when I came back, I was sponsored by Anglo-American. So I had to come back and work for Anglo-American for two years. But guess what? I stayed for 10 years. So I was employed as a project metallurgist. I used to travel to all the operations, you know, Amanda Belt, Union Operations. I used to go there, wear the overalls, sometimes that look much bigger on the on, on the waist. <laughs> but that's the thing about the mining industry. It presents you with all those challenges, right? I learned quite a lot. I built a lot of relationships with people in the operations. And one of the things that I actually learned and what I always coach most of the women in mining is as a woman in STEM in mining, you need to get your hands dirty. And that's one of the things that I actually learned as I was going in the operations. I spent almost three years as a project metallurgist. Then I moved to Anglo-American research when the, when the major actually happened, because before I was at Anglo research, Anglo research, then Anglo-American and Anglo-Platinum research merged. I was now looking after some of the operations in Chile, in Brazil, across all the Anglo-American operations, doing benchmarking work on water optimization. So I spent another two and a half years. Then I moved to the head office at Anglo-Platinum. Why did I move into uh, head office, Anglo-Platinum? It's all about the challenges that we face 
as young women. I had a son. It was very difficult for me to travel and leave my son. I didn't have, I'm a single mom. I didn't have anyone else to look after my son. And I had to make a decision. I remember one day I saw an advert that was looking for a planning analyst. And in my mind, I already knew I want to look for a role that will help me to integrate my personal life and my work, which means I can have enough time to come home to my son and hug him and not rely on other people to take care of my son. So this is some of the things that we talk about, the challenges as a young woman in mining. The question is how are organizations now structured to be more inclusive for young women? right? To allow them to still be mothers at home and still be able to deliver at work. So I did that, planning analyst. I used to do a lot of projects, valuations, you know, base metal refinery, worked with a lot of GMs, precious metals, and all the people within the platinum industry. I did that for about three years. Then of course, the platinum industry is very cyclical, right? We had the economic crisis and guess what? For the first time, we had a female CEO, Cynthia Carroll, for Anglo-American. Everything just changed. The safety culture. When we talk about role models for women, for me, that was the most important epiphany moment for me. To say we can have a woman to be a leader in a male-dominated industry. So... I then worked in strategy because there was a restructuring um, after the economic crisis. I moved into strategy. I was a senior strategy analyst. Now that was a more senior role. We were engaging with the Exco, working on different options, fact-based, insights, industry and competitor analysis. I mean, more strategic. It was more a very strategic role, working with different stakeholders. This is where you start realizing how important it is to have relationships. It is to have a network, building relationship, visibility. I then worked for almost about three and a half years. And I guess sometimes you reach a milestone where you'd say, I want something more. I was looking for something where I could execute this strategy. I could do M&A. I had a career strategy and I wanted to be able to do majors and acquisition in mining because I realized if I have not done any deals, would I actually be able to lead in a mining company? Would I get to a C-suite position? Let me move out of Anglo Platinum and sadly I left Anglo American. Then I joined Lonmin and became senior manager business development uh, at Lonmin. Exciting career. However, we had Marikana, of course. Three months when I joined, but there are always lessons. Where there are challenges, there are lessons. In summary, my role involved doing triple BE, um, you know, transactions for the company plus the strategy for the company. And of course, uh, I then moved on when Loanmin unfortunately folded and I was headhunted by South 32. And my last role was uh, vice president corporate affairs at South 32. And then what did you do after that? So you you had this quite long and distinguished career in the mining industry. And then what did you decide to do after you left South 32? So when I was employed at South 32, originally my role was regional commercial manager because I'd spent a lot of time in strategy and business development and commercial. Then I was promoted eight months into the role to VP corporate affairs. The company went through restructuring. And that time, 
I always felt there's something that I want to do. I always felt I need to impact. I've always wanted to do something more. The restructuring allowed me to reflect on my why. Why am I here? What is it that I want to do? How can I impact? Can I be a catalyst for change? I've always wanted to impact, particularly to share my experience. Because I didn't mention to you, I was a leadership coach. So I used to do pro bono at its business school for about five years um, as a leadership coach. So we used to coach the MBA students and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, you know what? How about if I can write a book? So fast take forward. When this opportunity presented itself at 1232, when I was, you know, when we restructured, I allowed myself to take a voluntary separation. And of course, my company supported me to, um, to join the IWF. So I applied for the IWF fellow program and I was accepted. That was a breakthrough for me because the IWF fellows was one of the best programs that I've ever done. Of course, I've done INSEAD before, which is an advanced management program, but this program, completely different. Why is that? It's females only. Yeah. You feel psychologically safe. Number two, you know, is sisters, that sisterhood where you can share, where you can become vulnerable and you can be yourself. I don't say you can't be yourself in an organization, but I think sometimes we're self-aware, especially as women, but in here, it felt so safe and I needed that. I felt more confident to do what I wanted to pursue. When I presented my project, what I wanted to do, legacy project, I remember the first day when they asked us this question, what are you going to do to honor someone's dream? That stayed with me. What am I going to do to honor someone's dream? So that inspired me then to say, you know what? I want to write a book. This book is going to be about the other. It's about helping women in mining. I'm passionate about mining. I'm passionate about coaching. I'm passionate about women in STEM. I'm passionate about leadership. How can I help women to succeed in the industry that I've fallen in love with? So I reflected on my journey and I said, you know what? As a strategist, there are three things that I want to do. Number one, I want to do a survey. I'm a researcher at heart. So the first part of the legacy project, which is part of the IWF Fellows Program, I did a research. I interviewed, well, not interviewed, I did a research survey of more than 150, 200 women, mostly 60% were in mining. We were asking them questions. What made you succeed? What are the challenges that you're facing? Because I always believe in also data because somebody's going to challenge you to say, why are you saying this in your book? Did you do anything? And as a researcher, I needed to then get data. And that's what I did through social media, connected with people, got a huge network. And it was really successful. People volunteered and they provided. So we did it through Monkey Survey. And the results are available on my website, unleashingmysuperpowers.com. Then the second part, we asked the question. I then wanted to do interviews because I thought I can put my leadership story but I want to understand other women who have succeeded. Let me do a 100-day campaign. Let me interview women who have succeeded. People like Deshni Naidu, Raksha Naidu. So I invited a lot of women and I said, can you participate in this interview? 100-day campaign. I interviewed the women over a period of about three to four months across the globe. And mostly it was women in STEM. But I also included women leaders like Professor Shelley Zinn. I interviewed her because I wanted to get a perspective of leaders 
who are at C-suite board level to understand what does it really take to succeed in a male-dominated work environment to break the glass ceiling. It was phenomenal. The interview is available on YouTube. It was phenomenal because a lot of women, they kept asking me, oh my God, this is amazing. Oh my God. Because the interviews, like what you're doing right now, it will stay. The key messages are there. So we did that. And then the third part was then the book, Unleashing My Superpowers, which I published last year in August. And fortunately, I became number one bestseller on Amazon, uh, on different categories. But it's not just about being number one bestseller. It's about the message that you hear from the people who have read the book. For me, that is impact. That made me feel I have achieved what I wanted to achieve. When you hear women say, I read your book. I feel myself in this story. I wish I had this book. It's like a manual. I don't leave this book with me. This one lady will say to me, Patience, my daughter, I'm keeping this book for my daughter. This is an important book for my daughter. If she wants to pay system, this is the book. So tell me a little bit more about the book then. Okay, so um, the title of the book is Unleashing My Superpowers, and it says how to navigate and succeed in a male-dominated mining work environment, and specifically in STEM. So tell me how to unleash my superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know when I actually thought about the title? So I wrote the book. I used to journal. I mean, as a leader, you want to reflect and you want to journal. So I used to do that. I used to reflect and journal. So I took all the journals that I had, you know, put it together. And all of a sudden I asked myself, what is the title of the book? I don't even have the title of the book. Then I came with Unleashing My Superpowers. You know why? Because in each and every part of my story, there was an up and a down, an up and a down, an up and a down. But it was an upward moment. And what does it tell you? It tells you that life is not a straight line. A career is not a straight line. You will face challenges. You will face adversity. It's about how you rise as a leader. How do you rise? It's much easier when you're rising, but when you fall, how do you rise again to become the leader that you're called to be. That's unleashing my superpowers. You need something extra to get you to that level. And this is where leadership is tested. What type of a leader are you in a crisis when everything is all fine? Everybody can be a good leader. But when there is a crisis, what type of a leader are you? Are you a compassionate leader? Are you a leader who stands and leads people? Are you a caring leader? Do you make decisions in crisis? And that is the reason why I call my book Unleashing My Superpowers. Cool. So I still want to know how do I unleash my superpowers? <laughs> okay, so what are the couple of steps that I need to do to unleash my superpowers? The first part, as a leader, number one, you need to know yourself. You need to know yourself. You need to know your strengths. You need to know what challenges you. If you don't know yourself, somebody can tell you who you are. And you may ask the question, how do you do that? You need to do a 360. I'm sure you know the 360, especially in organizations. I mean, personally, the first time I hit my 360, Petro, it was painful. 
particularly when people you face what you call, you know, negative part of yourself. You say, is that me? I don't even believe it's me. But it's important because once you know yourself, you can know how to develop yourself. You can know what are your superpowers. Because you'd be so surprised when people tell you, you are so good at this. And I always call it ikigai. You need to know what's your ikigai. What are you good at? What are you for? Right? What are your values? What are your belief system? Because sometimes we do have our own biases. You need to know all those things. That's number one, knowing yourself. Number two, as you rise, who is your cheerleader? Who is your cheerleader? Who is in your network? Who is that person who is going to help you to rise? Right? Because you may be very good at what you do, but sometimes you may self-doubt yourself. As I said, there are challenges. And I'll give you an example. One day I went for a, um, a retreat and I was climbing this pole, a large pole, which is the size of a, of a plate, right? It was a challenge, Tony Robbins challenge. And I was, as I was rising, people were cheering me. Oh, peak performance with patience, peak performance with patience. Everybody was cheering. They were so excited. There were about 60 people were divided into two. So it was a challenge to challenge you to get out of your comfort zone, right? And as I was climbing, as I was reaching the top, I got stuck. I was stuck. I couldn't stand. The whole idea was to climb this 60 meter pole. When you get to the top, you stand, you grab a trapeze. And that shows that you have achieved. I couldn't do it. I think I was stuck for almost 15 minutes. Petra, it was, it was embarrassing. I think people were thinking, what is this African woman doing up there? Because <laughs> I was the only <laughs> last one who was there. I was the last one to actually do the challenge. But anyway, the peak performance with patience, people were shouting, peak performance with patience. But when I was stuck, there was no one shouting, cheering me. Only two people. My coach then, and Haley, she was my buddy. Peak performance with patience. Patience, you can do this. You can do this. You're amazing. And then, patience, listen to me. This is what you can do. But I had fear when I was at the top. I was so scared. I wasn't even listening to him. The moment the fear disappeared and I listened to Dan, the coach, I could stand. But all of a sudden, everybody started cheering me. Peak performance with patience. Right? So this is what I talk about. You need a Haley and a Dan. A Dan, it's a coach. Do you have a coach? Do you have a mentor? Who's going to encourage you when you face challenges? Do you have a body? Who's going to say, it's okay, Petro. You are enough. It's okay. You can do this. In life, we don't live in isolation. We live with people. And even in organization, do you have bodies? Do you have supporters? Do you have sponsors? Do you have champions? We often overlook having champions. And the question for me, especially for mining industry, male leaders, who is your champion? Whom are you championing? Whom are you mentoring? Whom are you sponsoring? And I think in my book, I talk about sponsorship. How do we level the ground? Because studies have shown that Males, they mostly sponsor other males. How about females? When they call for drinks, they sponsor the males. How about females? And I think that's the challenge for me that I'm giving to the mining industry. How do we unleash the superpowers of females? Become a sponsor to a female. Become a champion 
for female, become a champion for diversity, equity, inclusion, right? Be the leader that stands on your own. That's why I have this on my hardcover. You're standing here on your own. You're saying, you know what? I am standing against discrimination. I'm standing against sexual harassment. And this is what I stand for. We need those kind of leaders. That's unleashing my superpowers. You need to unleash something extra to be the change you want to see in the world. It's about getting out of your comfort zone, using your voice to be the change you want to see in the world. That's unleashing my superpowers. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. So um, what are you working on right now? I mean, what gets you excited to jump out of bed in the morning and, and go to work? That's a very important question, Petro. You know, when I get up in the morning and I feel I've transformed certain people's lives, for me, that's my highest value. When we did a value system, when I was at NCR, to say, what are your values? I realized my highest value is impact. And that is why the role of sustainability, the role of ESG, the role of communities, the role of impact right? The role of corporate affairs when I was VP corporate affairs. I, I used to ask myself, why did I love this role? It is because my highest value is impact. When I know I have impacted somebody's life positively, that's what makes me get up in the morning. When I get up and I know I am making a difference, be it in an organization, I always found that I wasn't driven so much about financial return. I never used to negotiate too much on salary, right? But whenever I felt that my leader unleashing my superpowers, I'll do more because I'll be stressed. And when I felt that I'm impacting in an organization, it's not work for me. So for me, impacting and seeing that I'm making a difference in an organization, that's what gets me up in the morning. And I think we talk about ESG. I'm really passionate about ESG, environmental social governance. I was already doing part of the ESG. I was already advancing ESG. PhD, it was environmental. I was solving sustainability issues. Social, when I was vice president corporate affairs, sustainability was my baby. That's what I used to do, working with communities, helping them. A shared value concept is one of the things that we need to really start thinking about as an industry. And of course, governance. You cannot succeed in a, as an organization. Reputational risk. What do you do? Human rights. That's so important. So that gets me up in the morning, knowing that I'm impacting, knowing that I'm living life to my fullness. But most importantly, knowing that I've used my voice, you having the courage to use my voice. There hasn't been anyone who has been so honest in this book and be vulnerable in my book and calling out to say, you know what? We don't want boys club. We want male champions. Not many people have done this. And I'm proud that I've done it because I thought to myself, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? Somebody has to do it. I remember one lady said to me, Patience, you know what? You're so courageous. You wrote a book about mining. It's an industry that not many people write about. And I said, you know what? If not me, then who? If not now, then when? And I did it. And I'm glad I did it. <laughs> so in your line of work, who are your gurus, people that you look up to? Um, do you have any books that you would recommend people, other books that you like to recommend people to um, to read? So which sort of um, people and books have changed your life? Oh, there's so many. Oh, my God, there's so many. So in my book, I, I actually reference quite a lot of books. And I'll, 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 I'll tell you that. I have read one of the books that's so, so inspirational grit 
because I realized in my career I needed grit. And some people like grit sounds a bit, you know, but we need that. But you don't need only grit because we did a survey to say, do you need grit to get to C-suite? No, you don't. You now need relationships. So grit is one of the books that impacted, you know, my life. There's a book by Amy Cady. It says your body language may shape who you are. She's an amazing professor, Harvard, in terms of influence. We don't realize how important communication is. Influence. How do you influence, particularly us as females, the way you stand, the way you speak, the way your body language, essentially. What is it about you? It's not about the words that you say. It's about the actions. So it talks about leadership. The second one, um, that I would like to, 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 to talk about is the Ikigai. It's called The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life by Garcia, Hector, and Francesca Miralas. It's called the Ikigai. The Ikigai is about what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What does the world need? And what gives you the financial returns? As much as you may want to do something you're passionate about, you still need to pay the bills. Like with me right now. I followed my passion. Does it pay the bills? Not necessarily. <laughs> That's why I'll be going back to corporate. <laughs> I still need to pay the bills. So you need to balance. There is a balance. But if you get your ikigai, and my ikigai really is about working in the mining industry. I've worked for many years. I love it. I love the industry. If I can work in sustainability, that's me because I'm passionate about impact. That's my ikigai, right? The last one in terms of the gurus, I'll call them some of my role models. I love Shelly Zen. She's very humble. I interviewed her and we really deeply connected. There's so many, but I've just picked Shelly Zen because she epitomizes a very humble leader, but somebody who really wants to impact. She really Help me when I was doing this legacy project. You need a tribe of women. I also have Claire Beckton. She was part of also, uh, she was my mentor when I was uh, at the IWF Fellows. Really amazing lady. She's in Canada. I also have a lot of women that inspire me. A lot of women in mining. I can't even mention the names. I mean, we've got the Dejni Naidus. I worked with her Anglo-American amazing lady. You know, those are the women that we look up to and we want young women to really look up to those women. There's so many women, I really cannot mention many. The other leader book that I would recommend is um, by Adam Grant. He's got so many books. Adam Grant is an amazing on leadership. Really, really great. Really great. Yeah, but there's yeah. so many. Yeah, I mean, I also, I, I follow him on LinkedIn, so I get all of his quotes all the time. So also, uh, he's, I find him very, very inspiring. Um, so what excites you about the future? What can't you wait to see happen in your lifetime? I'm excited about so many things. My family always says, you're always excited about something. You're always coming up with something. Whatever that I do, it's all about you live life to the fullest. You do not want to regret and start thinking, oh, I could have done this. You want to be able to look back and say, I've lived a life. And I think for me, that's essentially what makes me to be excited about the future. I'm excited about the industry, the mining industry, because now people are realizing when we talk about climate change, the importance of the critical minerals that we need. 
We need the lithiums. We need all these metals. I mean, people are now realizing the mining industry actually does save lives, right? Before, people like mining industry, it's all about taking profits. But mining industry impacts our daily life. And I'm excited about the future. And I'm excited about my next step, which potentially will be maybe going back into corporate. Maybe in the mining industry, underground, who knows? I'm excited about everything. <laughs> so in preparing for this podcast, um, is there any specific message that you wanted to get across or something that you didn't specifically mention in the interview that you still want to get out there? I am today where I am because there were male champions. There were females that held my hand. And I want to honor those people. And I'm doing the same to hold other women. And the message I want to give to my listeners is you need to unleash something extra to be the change you want to see in the world. It's about having a sense of purpose, stepping out of your comfort zone, using your voice to inspire others and being a catalyst for change. Women have superpowers and it is time we unleash them. Watinta umfaz, watinta imbogoto. It's a Zulu saying that says, you strike a woman, you strike a rock. Let us all shine our lights and help others shine theirs. Thank you so much, Petron. Enjoy this. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. It's been wonderful to connect. It's my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.